visiting with us, you're especially welcome, and we trust you feel at home amongst us tonight. We welcome those watching online as well. And we're going to commence this evening. We'll read uh, the Word of God first of all, and uh, we'll read from Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 6. Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 6. And we'll commence at verse 28 and read down to the end of verse 34. And this passage we have here is familiar and well-known to us. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, and commencing from verse 28. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word tonight. And may we all seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're going to commence our praise of the Lord by turning in our hymnals to the Psalm 91. And the Psalm 91 found on, found at the back of the hymnal. There's a section of Psalms at the back of the hymnal, and it is Psalm 91. He that doth in the secret place of the Most High reside. The Psalm 91 will stand as we worship, please.
stand. You may be seated. And let us unite in prayer this evening, and let us pray for uh, the church here and for uh, this service. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we rejoice tonight that we can enter into thy presence, that we can sing thy praises, and that our focus can be upon thee this evening. And we thank thee that we come as a people who are rejoicing in their God and in their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee tonight that as we come to thy house, and as we come to meet with thee, there is that a great purpose for us to be here, uh, to worship thee in spirit and in truth, uh, to praise thy name, and to hear uh, the message that thou would have for our souls this night. And Father, we look to thee that thou would bless us here, that thou would forgive us for our sins and our iniquities, uh, that uh, thou would help us to overcome temptation. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, we would have that desire to walk in the ways of truth, to walk in thy paths, in the paths of righteousness. Lord, grant us grace tonight. Uh, come and minister to our hearts that we would uh, look unto thee and look unto our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And our Father, we do remember our sister congregations throughout Canada and the United States. We think tonight, especially, Lord, of our sister churches here in Western Canada. We do remember the work in Calgary. We pray that uh, thou would bless uh, that service there this evening, uh, that our uh, brother uh, Chris Barnes would know the help of thy spirit as he preaches thy truth. We pray, Father, for Williams Lake. Uh, for the work in Prince George, and uh, we pray that uh, the Reverend Simpson would know thy help. Uh, we think of Penticton and the Reverend Foster. Lord, bless her, we pray, and may uh, thy word have free course and be glorified. We thank thee uh, that we can come together this evening uh, to worship thee, and we pray that thou would still our hearts in thy presence, that thou would draw near to us, that we would know thee speaking voice of thy spirit within our hearts, that we would leave knowing that thou hast spoken to us, that we have been taught by thee, and that, Father, uh, thy word uh, will have been planted in our hearts and in due time will be practiced within our lives. And, Father, tonight we do remember those in need in our congregation. We do remember our sister Debbie. We pray that uh, she would know thy help and thy touch to remember our brother Vern as well, we pray that thou would bless him, and may he uh, know thy hand. We do remember the family circle there also. Uh, we pray that thou would bless them and give help day by day. And Father, others as well, we look to thee that thou would meet every need. And uh, we think especially of Calvin Golliger and the surgery that is scheduled for tomorrow. Uh, Lord, bless there, we pray, and may he uh, know that healing. Uh, from thee uh, through the means of this surgery. Bless his wife, bless his children, we pray. Uh, undertake for the family circle, and may he know uh, that thou art with him. Uh, give him that peace, give him that help and comfort. And Lord, we pray uh, that thou would undertake in all these things. We look to thee this evening. We pray that thou would bless our time here, that the Savior would be glorified, 
and that as we gather and have fellowship after this service, uh, that we would enjoy that time uh, fellowshipping with one another. Lord, bless us and meet our needs. Uh, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn again in our hymnals to the hymn number two, uh, the hymn two. Uh, praise my soul, uh, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, who like me his praise should sing. The hymn number two, uh, praise my soul, the King of heaven, and we'll stand again as we sing.
be seated. We do extend again a word of welcome to each one this evening and to those watching online and those who are visiting with us. We especially welcome you and we trust the Lord's blessing upon our gathering tonight. Do you remember that immediately after the service uh, there is food uh, provided downstairs in a time of fellowship and so we encourage each one uh, to not rush away home uh, but to go downstairs and have a time of fellowship uh, with us. On Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m., we have our Bible study downstairs in the prayer room and on Zoom as well, uh, so do uh, remember that meeting. And then on Saturday, the 2nd of March, there is the ladies' breakfast at 9 a.m., and then the men's prayer meeting at 7.30 p.m. And so, ladies, do remember that. And if it is that you would like to come, but you might need transport or something like that, do speak to me or my wife, and something can be arranged to help you out. Next Lord's Day, our services are at 9.30 in the morning. It's a Sunday school for children and adults. And then at 10.30 a.m. is our morning worship with communion at the end of that service. And then at 1.30 p.m. we have our monthly service in Langley Lodge Home. Uh, so do remember that, those that normally come along to help and support in that work. And then at 5.30 our prayer meeting downstairs and 6 p.m. our evening worship. Do remember these services and do pray for them and plan uh, to attend. And then on Sunday the 10th of March, after the evening service around 7.20 p.m., uh, we have a baptismal service. Our young brother Cole uh, will be being baptized, and there'll be a time of food and fellowship after it as well. And so do uh, remember that service. And then on Friday the 29th of March at 4 p.m., we have our Good Friday service, and that will be followed again by food and fellowship uh, downstairs. So in the next month, we'll be uh, eating a lot and fellowshipping a lot downstairs, but it's good. It's good uh, to have that time with the Lord's people. And so do remember that. And uh, then uh, the Easter services uh, the following uh, Lord's Day as well, where there will be more food and fellowship, as that is the last Lord's Day in the month. So do remember these services, and especially thinking of the Good Friday service, to invite uh, others to come, uh, friends and family, make it known, and uh, let's reach out and bring people into uh, the house of God. These are all uh, the announcements, and uh, there is one there about the uh, carpet cleaning rotor that's on the bulletin, uh, so uh, do remember that. And we're going to turn in our hymnals uh, to the hymn number 551. 551, uh, take thou our minds, dear Lord, we humbly pray, and we'll remain seated while our tithes and offerings for the Lord's work are received. 551, remaining seated, please.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these tithes and these offerings. I pray, Lord, that it will be used uh, to spread the gospel good news to, to all that needs to hear the word of God. And we pray also tonight for the blessing upon our pastor as he preached. And help us also to listen well and obey your word. We pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Court stand to sing uh, verses 2, 3, and 4, the remainder of 551. Standing to sing, please. seated and we're going to turn in the word of God this evening uh, to Daniel uh, chapter 6 Daniel uh, chapter 6 <clears throat> and this is a familiar passage in uh, the word of God And Daniel prayed three times a day, and this is the passage that we get that from. Uh, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, and that's what we find here in this passage. And so we'll read from verse 1 of Daniel chapter 6. And the Word of God says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these... 
three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto him, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days Save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree? that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, Regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And then these men assembled unto the king, and said unto the king, No, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is, that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning, 
and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word this evening. Let us unite together in prayer as we come to the preaching of the word. Let us pray. <coughs> our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we thank thee tonight for this opportunity to worship thee afresh, to hear thy word afresh to our hearts. And Lord, we pray that thou would speak to us have that message and that word in season to thy people, we pray. We do remember, Lord, those outside of the kingdom of God, and those who have never repented of sin, never trusted the Savior. And we look to thee that thou would speak to them and draw them to thyself, that they would know their sins forgiven, that they would know peace with God. Lord, speak to all of our hearts. Glorify thy name. Glorify our Savior. And Father, may... And we be shut in with thee that there would be no distraction. As we hear thy precious word, bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. In the minds of some today, the slogan, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, can constitute the essence of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some take this slogan to mean that our Christian lives will be protected by God from difficulties and from dangers. However, experience can easily inform us that this is a false belief. The believer in life can face all sorts of challenges, but especially uh, the believer can and does face persecution. And we see this in 
uh, this particular chapter in the book of Daniel, his godliness and his faithfulness in his duty to God and king made him enemies that were powerful. Some of these men sought to bring him down because they were jealous of his success and uh, because perhaps uh, he was a man who did no wrong and his carefulness and his morality limited and restricted them from using uh, the system of government they were in for their own benefit. Uh, we find uh, that uh, persecution can come upon uh, the people of God and we can be persecuted for what we believe in and how we act and behave in this world. And the Apostle Paul warned the Thessalonians that they would suffer persecution. He said to them, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. He told Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We can expect persecution. The church can expect to be oppressed by the world. It is something that we should constantly expect to mark out our lives in a fallen world. It can come in mockery and isolation. It can come from those who want very little to do with us. But one way or another, we should expect to suffer for the cause of our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. And so did Daniel. Daniel was found in the land of Babylon. It was not his home. He was a pilgrim in that land. He was brought there in captivity. That nation was not his home. He was brought from the land of Israel. And as he lived in that land, he was a stranger. But yet he ascended up into the uh, great ranks of government within that land and successive governments. Governments changed, but Daniel was a constant presence in the authority that was within Babylon. Despite being in a nation that had a pagan system of religion, a system that knew nothing of the God of heaven, Daniel still served the Lord. He still loved his God. And there's a great example and a challenge for us because we often find ourselves in places where God is not worshipped, where God's commandments are not kept, where even the language that we hear is language that blasphemes the name of Christ. And as Christians, oh, how easy it is to just go with the flow, to be found in that place, to act accordingly rather than take a stand for Christ. Well, we're not in a place where there are other Christians. We're not in our comfort zone. We're not there amongst other believers. And so it doesn't really matter how we act or how we behave. We could go on vacation to the furthest part of the world, but we're still a Christian. We're not among the people we know, but we're still a Christian. We can travel this world and go to many different places where nobody knows us, but God still knows us. And God still knows that we are His child, belonging to Him. We can't live like the world. We can't forsake Him. And Daniel, in that situation, 
How easy it would have been to say, well, I'm not in Israel anymore. I'm not in Judah. I'm not in Jerusalem. The religion that I follow is not followed the same here. And therefore, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But it did matter to Daniel. And the sixth chapter of Daniel shows us that he was a man who prayed to his God. Perhaps you've sang that children's song, Daniel was a man of prayer. Daily he prayed three times, even when they had him cast in the den of lions. And the events of this chapter took place at the end of the Babylonian Empire. That empire ended in a single night, Daniel chapter 5. There's a great warning there of judgment. Uh, the handwriting came upon the wall. The king was judged. He was he was weighed in the balances and found wanting. His kingdom was ended. His life was ended. And a new king, King Darius, took the throne. And Daniel lived in a society that was shrouded in paganism and idolatry. Very similar situation to which we find ourselves today. But despite this anti-God culture, he served the Lord. And he lived that godly life. And because of that, he found himself in the den of lions. He found himself facing what we could refer to as a form of persecution for his Savior and for his God. And Daniel took a stand. I want us to consider this evening, very simply, it's been said many times, it's been sung many times, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. And there are three thoughts about Daniel in this chapter that I want you to see and I want you to understand. And firstly, we see his God-glorifying piety. His God-glorifying piety. What is piety? It's a term that maybe you don't hear very often nowadays. It is similar to that word godly. It refers to a strong devotion to God, to the observance of spiritual practices, Daniel was a pious man. He was a godly man. I want you to notice verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel was noted for being pious. There was an excellent spirit found in him. He knew his God intimately. He wasn't a man who professed God on one hand and lived the life of a rebel on the other. He lived out what he believed. In his duties in the kingdom, he lived out what he believed. It was part of his person, part of his character, part of his everyday life. The Bible commentator Matthew Henry said that he was faithful to every trust. He dealt fairly between the sovereign and the subject and took care that neither should be wronged so that there was no error or fault to be found in him. He was conscientious of his work for godliness and his service about God was not just about the Sabbath day, not just about the day of worship. It concerned every day and every action that he engaged in. And do you believe we see something here this evening we have a man who lived for God. His faith was real. We considered something of that this morning. The great truths about Christ in 1 Timothy 3 verse 16. These truths affect us. These truths affect the church. And they change and alter and 
guide the church in how it should live. And so the truth of God and faith in Christ should change us and affect our lives in such a way that it is known that something has happened to us. We can think of those who are in their sins and they're known for their sinfulness and their wickedness and suddenly their lives are changed. I remember reading many accounts about the 1859 revival in Ulster in Ireland and how many accounts spoke about the sinful man in the town or the wicked man in the village, the man who drank alcohol constantly, who sinned greatly, who despite being in a society that perhaps was more God-fearing than us today, he still lived for Satan. He still lived a life of rebellion against him or against the God of heaven. What happened? The word of God came. There were meetings, gospel preaching, and by God's grace, he turned from his sin unto the Lord. And it was known. It was known that this man had become religious, that this man had been converted. How many accounts speak of an individual such as that whose life completely changed, not just internally, but that was expressed outwardly. And Daniel's faith is exactly the same. An inward, internal faith within the heart that showed itself through pious and godly actions. And dear believer, if you know the Lord and you love him, that should affect you. That should affect you in all that you do. In all that you do. It should affect you within your family. It should affect you within society and within the church. To give you a desire to be found at the house of God. But it should also affect how you work and how you labor in this world. Oh, how many seek to deceive others in the workplace. How many have stolen from the workplace? I've heard again conversion stories over the years. A man has been saved. On the Sunday evening, he's went to work the next day. And he's brought tools with him, not his tools, but tools that he had been stealing from work for many, many weeks and using them himself. And he realized, that's stealing. I can't do this. And he brought them back. And he repented from that particular sin well, when we think of the workplace and we think of our duty in society, our Christian life, our pious nature that comes from Christ affects that. One of the Puritans, a man by the name of Lewis Bailey, wrote a book called The Practice of Piety, The Practice of Godliness. And in a section in that book, it deals with many issues and many ways in which we can express uh, and show forth and practice our godliness. And I went through some of the chapter headings and uh, I read the book and thought of it as I was studying and I looked up a PDF online and some of the chapter headings and you're thinking, what has this to do with being pious or being godly? But yet, there was much to learn. 
deals with chapters concerning being pious and godly in the sorrows of life and how important that is. But he deals with hindrances, hindrances to being pious. And one of those hindrances is this, the evil example of great people, the practice of whose profane lives they prefer for their imitation before the precepts of God's holy word, so that when they see the greatest men in the state, many chief gentlemen in their country, to make neither cur nor conscience to hear sermons, to receive communion, nor to sanctify the Lord's Sabbaths, but to be swearers, adulterers, oppressors. Then they think that the using of these holy ordinances are not matters of so great importance. For if they were, such great and wise men would not set so little value upon them. So in other words, a hindrance to practical godliness are those within society and within government who live not for Christ and not for his word, not to hear the word of God preached, nor to keep his Sabbath, nor to worship him, but rather they sin and they use their position for wickedness. And Lewis Bailey said, that's a hindrance. The ordinary person looks at this and thinks of these great people with no time for God so why do they need time for God themselves? And when we think of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was not like that. He was not a great man in the government who lived like a rebel, but he was a great man in the government who knew the Lord and who knew his Savior. He was one who lived for him, seeking to serve him. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, the word of God says, do it with thy might. And Daniel lived for the glory of God and God was reflected in all that he did. He set that example. Man, high ranking in society, set a godly example. And dear believer, the challenge is there for you and I and who we are in society. We, not, we may not be in government. We may not have any opportunity to get into government. But we're found within the church. We're found within our families. We're found within the workplace. We're found within society. Are we living a righteous example? We may not be the supervisor. We may have those who are over us. But are we still living that godly example that men and women can see Christ in what we say and what we do? That we can be trusted. They look upon the Christian and say, well, he's a Christian she's a Christian. They can get the job done. They're diligent in all that they do. And how important that can be in backing up what you say regarding your faith. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came and preached the gospel, what did he do? He healed. He healed the lame and the blind. He performed miracles. And those miracles gave a weight to what he was saying. He preached the gospel and the miracles that were performed through the power of the Spirit of God were the evidence that what he was saying is the truth. And when we think of ourselves, 
our actions, our, our actions support what we say. Our actions support what we say. If I said to you this evening, a very simple way of being a Christian is to obey all the rules on the road, to drive at the speed limit. I was behind uh, one of the brethren coming into church today, uh, this morning, and I noticed the speed sitting behind him. It was a good speed. Nothing wrong with that. And then uh, I saw, I think, I think he waved at me. So I think he noticed I was behind him. And then the speed dropped a few kilometers. So I'm not too sure if that was because the pastor was behind him or not. Uh, but regardless, there was the rule of the road being obeyed. And I could say to you, obey the rules of the road. Take care for your safety and that of others. And that is biblical. And then on your way home tonight, uh, this silver car speeds past, doing 150, flies through the red light, doesn't stop. There's cars and smoke left behind because cars have been trying to avoid this crazy silver car flying up the road. And you say, I think that was the pastor. What's he doing? He told us to obey the rules of the road. He told us to, you know, make sure that and we do that for safety's sake and for the care of others. Why is he driving like that? Did somebody steal his car? And you find out that, yeah, that was the pastor. Something's wrong there. Something's wrong. He's saying to, he's saying something that you should do that he's not prepared to do himself. And when we think of Daniel... Daniel would have had words about his faith, would have spoken of his faith. His actions backed up every single thing he said. They couldn't turn around and say, Daniel, you're serving the God who said thou shalt not steal, but you've got your hand in the treasury pot of the kingdom and you're taking from it. Daniel, your God said, don't bear false witness. And you just stood up in the middle of the government and lied about things that are taking place. How can that be? No, Daniel was righteous. His words were supported by his actions. We cannot perform miracles like Christ to support our words, but we can behave in a godly and pious manner to support what we say. Savior, the Lord, was reflected in his life. Commentators say that Daniel excelled in his job primarily because of his spiritual condition. It still works that way. You will do your best on the job when you are right with God. Laziness, half-heartedness, a lack of diligence in our lives is a result of sin. A result of sin. Daniel was not that because he knew God and he knew sins forgiven. And that piety that he had flowed from him being uh, that believer in the God of heaven. The word of God tells us if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And Daniel had a God-glorifying piety, a God-glorifying godliness within his life. Why? Because he knew his God. He believed upon him. His sins had been forgiven. He looked forward to Christ, the Savior. And it is the same today 
If you desire to glorify God, to be pious, you need to know Christ. You need to believe in Him. You need to know Him as your Savior. Daniel's godliness cannot ever be anything that you experience unless you know Christ as your Savior and you turn from your sin and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the Savior? Do you know His salvation? Do you know that great change that He makes within your life? Daniel had a God-glorifying piousness within his life because of this change within him, because of his Savior and his God. But notice here, secondly, his God-centered practice. His God-centered practice. He prayed. And this is what Daniel is known for. We find in verse 10, And now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He's known for his prayer life. And the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6 and the verse 5 and throughout that chapter, he gives direction about how we are to pray. We're to get away from the world. We're to close ourselves in with God. We're to seek uh, the Lord in prayer. The Christian is to be one who prays. Daniel's God-centered practice of prayer is something that should mark all of us, just like his God-glorifying godliness that he had. These things mark Daniel. These things ought to mark the believer. He didn't pray to be seen of men. He opened his window toward Jerusalem. That does not mean that he opened his window for everyone to see he was a praying man. But he prayed and he looked toward the city that God had chosen and toward the house that had been built for his name. He prayed toward Jerusalem, to where the place of prayer had been. He prayed for the freedom of his people. He prayed toward Jerusalem where Calvary was found, the place where the Savior, the great high priest and intercessor of our faith would die for sinners. He looked toward Christ dying. He prayed with passion. He prayed three times a day. And we need to be a praying people. Believer, you need to be one who prays and one who seeks the Lord. Young person, you need to pray. You need to know Christ as your Savior and you need to be one who prays. Daniel had a regular time for prayer. He was on his knees. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day. For some, that might be painful, getting down on your knees, perhaps on a hard floor. But it showed humility. He came before the God of heaven, and he showed the humbleness of his heart. God was above him. He kneeled before him, and he prayed. He prayed. Oh, we had that desire to be close to God. Do you have that desire to be close to God? Believer, do you have that desire to know your God, to commune with him in prayer? To seek him? Notice that this was Daniel's usual practice. Coming back to the context of this passage, these men who were against Daniel said to the king and put it in the king's mind to make this decree that if anyone prayed for anything, to any God other than the king, 
if they would be cast into the den of lions. And verse 10 brings us into that context. Daniel knew what had happened. Daniel knew the writing had been signed. For 30 days, all he had to do was keep his window closed, to not pray, to make him when he was sitting down or lying in bed, away from the world. Not in a posture of prayer, he could have prayed. But he continued to do that which he'd always done. He didn't change his practice because the king and those who opposed him said, this has to change for 30 days. He still did that which he did aforetime. And we'll come back to this in a moment, but it shows his persistency in prayer. He was a persistent prayer. He didn't just pray when the hard times came. He didn't just give thanks in the good times. He prayed constantly three times a day. Dear believer, could it be said of us, could it be said of you that you're one who prays, one who seeks the Lord constantly? Daniel had a God-centered practice. Oh, how we need to pray. He humbled himself. He was down on his knees, and the Lord is above us. As we pray, we're humbling ourselves. Lord, we need thee. We need thee to help us, to answer our cries. <coughs> we cannot do this work without thee. We cannot serve thee or witness for thee without thy help. As we come to pray, we're acknowledging that we're not in control, but God is. The King of heaven. We read at the start of the service, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And our practice should be a practice that is centered upon God, a practice of prayer centered upon him. But notice here thirdly and finally, his God-honoring principles. His God-honoring principles. Daniel was elevated into the kingdom. He was such a man that the king sought to place over the whole realm, and there was much jealousy. The Bible says, Thou shalt not covet, but yet these presidents and princes coveted Daniel's position and his power and the favor that he had. I remember reading a story, I'm not sure whether it was true or not, but it concerns Louis XI of France. A man came to him one day and brought him a turnip. It was unusually large. And the king was delighted with the simplicity of this man and commanded that he be presented with a thousand crowns. And the turnip was wrapped in silk and set among his treasures. One man who observed this was jealous and desired such and even more wealth for himself. So he got a very handsome horse. And he brought the horse to the king. The king cheerfully accepted the gift of the horse. And then he commanded that this man be presented with the turnip. Because it cost a thousand coins. His coveting didn't get him very far. And we find that in this passage, the coveting of this man against Daniel and their jealousy didn't get them very far. And we are to be careful about jealousy of others. We're to be careful about those who, in our minds, have an easier time than us, have more wealth than us, have more favor than us. Let us leave that in God's hands and be faithful to him. Let us not act in jealousy, certainly toward brothers and sisters in the Lord. They could not find fault against Daniel, and so they looked to his religion. 
his faith to bring him down. The proverb says, He that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. And they desired to get rid of Daniel. And that brings us back to verse 10. He knew that the writing was signed. He knew. He knew that if he was caught or observed praying, the king would pass, that he would be cast into the den of lions. It didn't matter how much the king liked him and how much the king respected him. And the king certainly uh, was sorrowful that this had happened. He was sore displeased with himself. Verse 14. But he couldn't change the law. He couldn't change the sentence. And Daniel knew that that was one of the laws. That that could not be changed. But what did he do? He stuck firm to his principles. Verse 10. As he did aforetime. As he did aforetime. Those words could be rendered according to the manner of a former time. He did that which he had always done. There are some that if rules came in to say you can't do this and you can't do that, people will say, oh, you're suppressing my freedom. You're oppressing me. You're persecuting me because I can't, I can't pray. I can't go to worship. I can't do this. I can't do that. But all along, they never did that. They just don't like the overreach. And so they'll protest. But coming to the house of God, coming in prayer, means nothing to them. It means nothing. Daniel didn't turn around and say, well, I can't pray now, and so I'm going to protest by praying. He did that which he had always done. Persistency, as we've said, faithfulness to the Lord. A principle. A principle. His faith. His faith brought him to the place of prayer. He was old at this time. And you may say, especially young person here tonight, you may say, well, Daniel is old. He's had the experiences of life. It was near the end of his time anyway. He's going to die in a short time, so it doesn't matter if he took a stand and ended up in the den of lions. It was near the end of his life. So let the old man take the stand. Let the old man be cast into the den of lions. But not someone who's young. You could say the pastors and elders are old. I hope you don't think that way. Let them risk all for Christ. They're older than me. The 20 years, 30 years, maybe more older than me. They need to be taking that stand, not me. I'll enjoy my life and then later on when I'm old, when I can't do very much, I'll take that stand because it doesn't matter. But Daniel didn't think like that. He took his stand, yes, but if we move to Daniel chapter 1, and we won't read those verses for the sake of time, we find that Daniel spent his entire life having fun then taking a stand. No, he spent his entire life living for the Lord, godly, with a pious heart and a pious attitude. He spent his entire life standing for his God. And what an example to us. His resolve did not change with age. He kept on serving the Lord. His piety was never called into question. He honored his God. The word of God tells us, Them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And so Daniel took a stand, not because he was old and there was nothing to lose, 
but because that was the pattern of his life all along. Tonight, is that the pattern of your life? Do you desire that to be the pattern of your life all along? That you love the Lord, that you know him as your Savior, that you're going to live for him and stand for him and pray to him. And Daniel is the great example of that. Is it the pattern of your life? God blesses those who stand for him. He had principles. Do you have principles tonight? Principles that bring you closer to the Lord. Principles that men will hate, but God blesses you through them. Does Daniel 6 give us a realistic perspective on persecution and suffering? Daniel was delivered, and we see that. The Lord graciously delivered him. The Lord was with him. But there have been many, many over the centuries who, in a similar position to Daniel, lost their lives. They suffered for Christ. There are believers suffering around the world today. They are faithful like Daniel, but they weren't delivered. And in God's will, that was not the case. But Daniel 6 provides to us something more than simply a model of how God helps those who are persecuted. But Daniel 6 is a foreshadowing in history of what will happen on the day of judgment. A foreshadowing of what will happen to the believer and what will happen to the unbeliever. Daniel endured the lion's den. He came out the other side. Why? God saw him as righteous. God saw him as one of his own. God saw that he was one who loved him, one who was righteous, one who was pious. And God judged him and found him not guilty. And as a result, the lions did not harm him. And what a picture that is of the believer. If you know Christ and you know him as your Savior, when the judgment comes the last day, that judgment will be there for those who are unbelievers, but you will pass through, as it were. You'll avoid that judgment. You'll enter into the presence of God. You'll be safe and secure and unharmed from that judgment because you're righteous in the sight of God, because Christ is your Savior, because you are pious, because you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a picture it is of the last day and the believer's security and safety from judgment and from hell. But then we find those who are unbelievers. What about those who plotted? Well, we find verse 24 that they were cast into the den of lions. They and their families were sentenced to death. And that foreshadows those who are unbelievers, those who are against God and his people, those who've never repented of sin. And they were destroyed. They were cast into the den of lions. Those who know not the Savior will be cast into hell for all eternity. They'll be judged. They'll be found guilty. They will lose their souls. And so Daniel 6 reminds us and points to that great day in which the Lord will judge those who are outside of Christ, where the Lord will bless his people and bring them safely through to everlasting and eternal rest. And tonight as we close, what about you? 
What about you? When we think of the gospel here, we think of Daniel coming out of the lion's den safely. When you look forward to the end of time, to your death, to the coming of the Lord, is there safety? Is there safety? Daniel went in with a great peace, knowing that his God was with him and his God delivered him. And when you come to the end of life, do you have, will you have that peace that comes from Christ alone? Will you have that fear that comes from rejecting him and from unbelief and from a lack of repentance and faith toward him? Oh, that you would have that peace, that you would repent and believe the gospel. May the Lord bless his word tonight for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in our hymnals to hymn 248. The hymn 248, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. 248, and we'll sing all four verses standing to sing, please.
pray. Father and our God, we thank thee for thy word tonight. We pray that each one would have that desire to be like Daniel, to know thee, to love thee, to serve thee. Oh, Lord, that we would be like him, that he would be that example to us that points us to the Savior and points us to walk closer to our Savior. Lord, may we be pious. May we have that God-centered practice of prayer. Lord, may we have uh, those principles fixed firmly within us uh, that we would live for thee. And though men will oppose us, though men may persecute us, that we would stand firm for thee. Lord, bless us, we pray. We do give thee thanks for the food and refreshments downstairs. We pray that thou would bless them to us. May we partake to the honor and glory of thy name. And take us to our homes in safety afterwards. And may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.